Thank you, Brett. That's very, very kind. I, I, what I love most, all the kind things he said is when he said, he's ours, because I am. I, I belong here. You know how that, that is. So many people, no connection in the world, no really belonging to a people, but this is my people. I, I do have to say, though, that back in the green room, Brett said something about me being normal. And uh, that's not been said very much of me in my life, and so you'll excuse me if today is Christmas Day for me, because Brett said I'm normal. It makes me happy. Hey, I want to dive in today and, and uh, really enjoy what we do, so let's just have a good time this morning. I love Christmas. You guys love Christmas? I know it's got, it got its pressures and its hassles, but I love Christmas. I even love the secular stuff about Christmas. I love it when Mariah Carey gets tuned up. Come on. Come on. I know that's a secular song. It doesn't matter to me. It means it's Christmas time. I really love, because I have a little appreciation for his music, when Jose Feliciano gets tuned up with Feliz Navidad. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. That makes me happy. I, 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 I get moved. I try to watch all the 2062 versions of It's a, of it's a Wonderful Life on television or, or, or Christmas Carol or whatever. I love all of that stuff. I cry every time the angel gets his wings in It's a Wonderful Life. Now, some of you guys are kind of freaking me out because apparently, according to the polls, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are the biggest Christmas movies. I don't know what that has to do with Christmas. Just like I don't know what gingerbread men have to do with Christmas, but that is another sermon, all right? But I love it all. Now, all that stuff is the secular side, and you know what I'm talking about. That's fine. The malls, the stores, the music, the, the music, all of that, fine. What I really love about Christmas is the power of it. And, and I'm going to talk about that this morning because I know sometimes we can kind of just slog through Christmas hoping to get to the other side. You know what I'm talking about? If we can just make it to December 26th, Jesus is Lord. You, you, you know what I mean? We just, if we can just get there. But, but I, I want to tell you that Christmas has the power to change us. And I'm not trying to be mystical or, 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 or some kind of weird liturgical. But the reason it has the power to change us is that it reminds us of things about our faith. It reminds us of what we believe. And it reminds us in the biblical sense. Let me tell you this. Biblical reminding, biblical remembering is not just recalling past facts. It's not just recalling something that happened long ago. When you're told to remember in Scripture, it comes with an impartation. It comes with power now. It has to do with something that's taking place now. Let, let, let me just give you a couple of examples here. Uh, the, the, the pattern is Habakkuk 3 and verse 2, and I'm going to wind through a number of Scriptures, so just follow me here. But, but, but in, in Habakkuk 3, 2, it says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. Do you see the pattern? you see the connection? I'm remembering what you've done. I've heard of your reputation. I know what you've done in the past, but let it be a reality 
in our time. Renew it in our day. Repeat it now. That's always what biblical remembering is. It's not just a remembering of past facts. When a wife turns to her husband and says, do you remember our anniversary? What she's not looking for is for him to say, I remember 10 o'clock in the morning, it was a Saturday, sometime in eight, what was it, 2002, it was in Kansas. I remember that. And I remember your mother was there for sure. And I remember the bill on the food. And then he goes back to the game. That man is going to be tied up and put in the attic. That man has failed because all he's doing is what? Remembering the facts. What's she looking for? She's looking for a renewal. She's looking for an impartation. She's looking for him to take hold of the passion of that day, of the love of that day, of the romance of that day, and bring it into the present. Do you remember our anniversary? Not just a past event, but a renewal, a repeat, a remembering. Biblical remembering is about bringing it into the present. Let me, let me give you some other examples of this. Before going into battle in the Old Testament, in Nehemiah 4.14, they were told to remember the Lord. But watch how it happens. It's not just remember him like, oh yeah, he's there. In Nehemiah 4.14, it says, don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What's the assumption? If you'll remember the Lord and who he is, and that he's the God of battles, and that he has won battles for you before, and you'll bring that into the present, you will defeat your enemies. That's biblical remembering. Bringing it into the present. Taking hold of what's past. Even, even when you are in pain and darkness. Listen to what Psalm 42, 6 says. Psalm 42 says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. You see what he's saying? The solution to my soul being downcast and in pain is that I remember the Lord. Now, if it was just a remembering of the fact he's there, he exists, he's in heaven, he's on his throne, that wouldn't change anything. But biblical remembering is bringing who he is into the present. It's recalling his power. It's recalling his gifts. It's recalling his grace. It's seeing a renewal in the present of what has happened in the past. And the reason I love Christmas is that it is a time of remembrance. It is a time of renewal. And we need that right now in this year more than ever, don't we? We need to recover what God is able to do and, and who he is. In fact, the ultimate example of remembrance in the Bible is the Lord's Supper. Can I just refer to it for a moment? I'm reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Listen now. Listen to what Jesus said. For, this is Paul writing. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. What did he say next? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me in this. Let me go one more. He says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what's fascinating is just a few verses later, Paul says, and this Lord's Supper is powerful. 
People who aren't taking it right, understanding what it is, are actually dying. People are actually weak in their bodies because they don't know how to access the power of remembering the Lord. In other words, the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Eucharist that we partake of is meant to be not just a remembering, you know, Jesus existed 2,000 years ago. It's meant to be a taking hold of his power that changes us. It's meant to be the, the Lord's Supper is a delivery system for power. That's what happens when we remember him. When we remember biblically, when we remember the things God wants us to remember, it comes with power. It comes with an impartation. It comes with something that changes us now. That's why we're told when we're depressed, remember the Lord. That's why we're told when we have a battle, remember the Lord. That's why we're told all throughout the Bible, it comes up about a hundred times, remember, 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 because it's a renewing of power. Well, that, that brings us to Christmas. It brings us to the, to the season that we're celebrating this week. And I can't wait to hear Brett next, next Christmas Eve evening. And I can't wait to hear him on Sunday. But, but I want to just set us up a little bit for even what we're going through and what we're doing this week. Because so many of the things we have in our homes, so many of the things associated with Christmas should actually be opportunities for us to remember and bring the power of the Christmas story into our lives. Remember in such a way that there's an impartation. That's what God wants. And trust me, I understand. I understand that Christmas can be a lot of work. I understand that you got to keep folks happy. I understand there are Christmas lists. I, I understand that there's food to get and gifts to get and running around and trying to do it during a pandemic and all this other stuff. It's a lot. But let's not miss this week. Let's not miss in the next days. The impartation that God wants to bring to our lives through what we're being reminded of in our Christmas celebration. Let me just give you an example. Most of us have, many of us have, a manger scene or a crash in our homes or we drive by one in front of a church or, or I went, went to just into a neighborhood the other day where they had a great big manger scene in, in, in front of the, the neighborhood. And of course, you know what they look like. You got the shepherd standing around Mary and Joseph and, and, and they're in a little kind of trough uh, because it would have been an animal trough that he was laid in according to scripture uh, is, is this image of baby Jesus. And we can have a response that says, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet? Little baby Jesus from long ago. But I want to tell you that that's meant to remind us of the fact that Jesus, the son of the living God, became a human being. That the incarnation occurred. That something powerful happened. You know when that happened. The angel went to Mary, who's probably just a 15-year-old girl, and he, and he explained to her what was about to happen. The power of the Lord God, the power of the Most High is going to come on you, and you're going to be, uh, and you're going to give birth to the Christ. I mean, this is the proclamation. And then he finishes by saying, for no word of God shall be impossible. You know what Mary says? She responds, not fully understanding, and says, well, be it unto me according to your word. And at that moment... The incarnation, so, we're, so we have come to believe, happened. At that moment, the power of the Most High overshadowed her, and she conceived the Christ child. Now hear me. Every victory that Jesus intends for your life, every victory you have known as a believer has come about because Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, took human form. Every victory. Think about that. Jesus became a human being. He had flesh. He took on flesh just like me. 
That's what gives me victory. That's what allows me to overcome sin. That's what allows me to have power to live my life because Jesus became a human being. And when we see that little image in the manger, it doesn't radiate any power. I'm not saying it glows or has any supernatural power. That's not the point. But an external thing triggers an internal thing. An outside thing reminds us of who we are, reminds us of what God has done, reminds us of the power of Jesus for our lives, and it triggers something. And we can remember in such a way that power comes into our lives. I want to suggest that, yeah, Christmas should be all the fun and the joy. I'm not a killjoy. Have all the fun you're going to have. I mean, my week started off with Notre Dame losing, so there's a little downside, but I'm just saying, have all the fun you're meant to have. But don't let it just be at the mall and presence and food level. Let it also be a supernatural experience of what we're being reminded of. Because the fact that Jesus, thank you, go ahead. If you're going to applaud Brett, you're, no. Because one of the scriptures I love the most is Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, but he did not sin. I love that verse. How's that possible? Because Jesus was willing to become a babe in in an animal stall sometime 2,000 years ago. He was willing to become human. He was willing to be incarnated, take flesh. Powerful, it's transforming. So, so, so I'm just saying, as you go through this next week, as you see these manger scenes, as you're reminded of the incarnation, don't just let it be at the level of, oh, that's cute, that's a nice manger scene, they did a good job with the, you know, the branches there. Be reminded of the power of Jesus for your life. Remember in the biblical sense that there is an impartation to be had. Let the power of it enter your soul. May the Lord give us grace for that. The second one that that fires me up, and I I know I'm a little bit nutsy about Christmas, but I'm just going to bring it all now. The second thing that fires me up is the idea of light. Let let me read to you what, what what I came across as I was reading Luke chapter 1, and John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was prophesying after his son was born. And here's what he said, that Jesus is coming, in his case coming, in our case he's already come, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into paths of peace. I was telling Bev on the drive-in this morning, isn't that verse interesting in light of what we're going through? Isn't that verse interesting? The whole world right now is in the shadow of death, is it not? This pandemic puts all of us, in a sense, in the shadow of death. The shadow just means that it's looming, that it's out there, that it's near. It doesn't mean it dominates you. It's the shadow of death. The whole world. And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that Jesus comes to shine light at that moment and in that situation. Jordan came over here thank you, and lit this candle, JC, son. And I know it's a candle. I know it's just physical. I know he lit that flame. But it's meant to be an outside thing that triggers an inner reality for us. The light of Jesus has come into the world. I got up early this morning to pray in my office down in Alexandria, which feels some, some days like 900 miles away. I got up to pray this morning, and, and, and Bev had just 
just because she knows I like Christmas lights, she kind of wove some Christmas lights just through my books and the, some of the figurines in my office, and I flipped it on this morning. And because I'd been meditating on this sermon, I kind of teared up. Now, I know I can be weird, but Brett's just now, after 15 years, coming to the conclusion that I'm somewhat normal. But, but I got a little teared up because for that moment, those lights, that little string of inexpensive lights, triggered the idea that our world needs the light of Jesus to be shining into it, terrified about death, terrified of death, terrified of the curse flowing in the land, terrified in a land of darkness. You understand what, what, what is meant by that spiritual darkness, or the whole world's covered with kind of a spiritual darkness. And in one sense, it always is, but right now it's particularly covered in darkness. And what's the prophecy? What's the word? The light of Jesus will shine. I'm not, please don't think I'm being weird here. I know this candle's not radiating something. You know, it's just a symbol. It's just a sign. It's what happens when we remember what it's meant to suggest to us. The light, think, think about the times in which Jesus came, just to take it back in history. People were killed. There were great murderous events in the Colosseum. The elderly were expected to commit suicide. The young were abandoned on the walls of the city. It was a dark time. Demons were worshipped on every street corners with vast altars. I could go on and on and on as a historian about what was happening. And then Jesus came. Then the light began to shine and the darkness got rolled back and lives began to change and practices began to change and people understood who God was and he came alive in their souls and something was awakened and people were reminded by candles. I know it can go to an extreme in some movements, but, but it became, they, the, the, the lights that they kept in their homes and the candles that they lit and, and the way they lit up at Christmas time when Christmas finally became a thing about four centuries after Jesus that it reminded them that the light had come in the world. Now, I've been a dad with kids screaming at me, Dad, Dad, you're not putting up the lights right. Dad, Dad no, no, don't put it there. It goes over the bed. Dad, put it on the roof. No, Dad, put it on the chimney. No, Dad, 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 I wanted to sell my children by the time that experience was done. Merry Christmas. You're living with somebody else, you know? But if I can get past all that dad busy at Christmas stuff, Every light that is lit in celebration of Christmas in my home reminds me that Jesus is eager to shine his light in this dark and death-fearing generation. That's what I want to remember. That's what I want to remember. I don't care if you've got a little match going, a little candle like this. I don't, if your house, I don't care if they can see your house from space. That's how lit up it is. Whatever light you've got, as a believer, that's light you are lighting symbolically in your life that's meant to remind you some, of something. And biblical reminding is a taking hold of power for now. I want light in my life. I want light in my marriage. I want the light of Jesus in my home. I want the light of Jesus in those I'm touching and ministering to and reaching to. I want the light of Jesus in this room. I want the light of Jesus in every living room represented by everybody watching right now or people are gonna watch later on video at the break room of their business or whatever. I want the light of Jesus shining there. I wanna be changed by it. And I'm reminded by a, a fine looking young man lighting a candle on a stage at my church that death is trying to reign, but Jesus is gaining the victory. That fires me up. That fires me up. Let me go a little further. Let me go a little further. Back here, we've got some beautiful Christmas trees. Why do we have trees 
sitting on the stage. In fact, why do you, most of you probably, have some kind of tree in your house? Why did you bring a tree into your house? I'm just trying to understand. I'm having some fun. Relax. Like, did I do something wrong? No. You know why we do it? Let me tell you a little story. 800 years after Jesus, there was a British man who was a missionary, and his name was Boniface. And he went to preach the gospel in a country, basically what we call Germany now. It wasn't called Germany then, but anyway. And he went to preach the gospel and be a missionary in a region where they worshiped Thor. Thor was a Norse god, a pagan god, son of Odin. All the Nordic peoples worshiped him. And they had these, they, 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 they believed that he indwelt in trees and they engaged in chi the child sacrifice by way of honoring that tree. So you have to picture it. Picture that these aren't beautiful Christmas trees, but this is just a, well, here's one, big old tree. And they would bring a child, think, picture this now, and they would sacrifice a child to a, tr the spirit of Thor they thought lived in the tree. Well, obviously, Boniface is there to change that. So he decides to have a Mount Carmel contest. He goes into one of their worship services, their, their pagan worship services, and just about the time they're going to sacrifice a beautiful child to the spirit that's supposed to live in a tree. You talk about darkness. You talk about paganism. Boniface, who was a different kind of missionary than the ones we normally train in school, got himself an axe, went in front of all those people and chopped that tree down and then turned to those people and said, your God, the God you worship, can't even keep his tree from being chopped down because he's no God at all. The real God loves all people would never sacrifice a beautiful child. There's the mother off to the side weeping because it wasn't a voluntary thing on the part of the family to sacrifice the child. He preaches the gospel. They all convert because they would have thought he chops down the tree, he gets you know, hit by lightning. No, he chops down the tree. Everybody feels relief. He preaches the gospel. They all convert and are baptized that day. Then he goes back out and starts chopping up the tree and gives them pieces of it to take in their home. He says, this tree is unique because its branches are lifted to God and its green is evergreen and that means eternal life. And he breaks out the symbolism of the tree and then he sends them all home to uh, put it pieces of that tree in their home. That starts the German tradition of Christmas trees in a home, and we've all done it because they did it. And nobody's as crazy about Christmas than a German. Brett's got a German daughter-in-law. I've got a German daughter-in-law. Nuts about Christmas. I'm just telling you. I don't want to go any further. Nuts about Christmas. But here's what I want you to know. Cameras, I know you got a hard time following me, but here's what I want you to know. You put that in your house or some version of it, or at least you enjoy them when you see them at the train station or the mall or, or somebody else's house. That's the better way to do Christmas trees. Let somebody else put it up in their house. But anyway, when you see it, what's it there? For us Christians, it's a symbol of the power of Jesus Christ over idolatry that holds people in bondage. 
And so, yeah, I know we just put it up as Christmas. We're thankful. We put presents under it. It's wonderful. I'm not Scrooge. I'm not here to turn all that off. I just want to add another layer of understanding, which this, this is a symbol of the power that is yours. I need that power to pull down idols in my life. I don't know what they are at the moment, but I'm sure I've got them. We've got them in our culture. We've got them in our heads. We've got them in our schools. We've got strongholds in our generation. I want the power to lovingly pull them down and set the captives free. That's what we're reminded of at Christmas. And that's why you have a Christmas tree in your house. Otherwise, you're just stealing the forest and bringing it into your house. I don't know what else to say. If there's no meaning to it, Let's not do it just because it's dead tradition. Let's remember what it's about. So again, I'm not saying the tree radiates in some glowing way in your house. I'm just saying, I look at that and I go, thank you, Jesus. What a beautiful tree. Give us the power to pull down idols in our generation. Do you see, you see, what I'm, see where I'm going? I, I, I can go further. Let me mess with Santa Claus for a moment. Why not? Brett called me normal. It's a great day. Things are going good. Okay, you got the guys in the red suits at the mall. Believe what you want. Teach your children what you want. That man originally was a bishop in what we now call Turkey. About 300 AD, he was a bishop, Christian bishop, in the the region that we now call Turkey. He would have walked with a bishop's crook because back in those days, they thought of a bishop as an actual shepherd, and he would take a shepherd's crook with him as a symbol of his office. He would wear a bishop's robes, which was based on on Roman officials' robes. Bishop Nicholas, St. Nicholas we call him, but but Bishop Nicholas was radical in his giving to the poor. He had come from a wealthy family when he got converted. He used that wealth to do what we're doing with Grace Loves, Grace Cares. He, he, He made a difference in people's lives. He focused on sailors. He focused on prostitutes. He focused on children. He changed his region, Corey, with radical generosity in the name of Jesus. He changed his region. So you know what I want? I want Corey to enjoy Santa Claus and tell his kids whatever he wants. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Remember, my name is not Scrooge. But I also want him to know that St. Nicholas was a man who changed his culture through radical Christian generosity. And that's why we even know who he is. What, would, what, what in the world would we even know about a guy named St. Nicholas if it wasn't for the fact that he was a heroic Christian bishop? I'll tell you something else I do just to be, just because to show you how weird I can be. You know, my bishop's Brett. The Greek word for bishop in the Bible just means epi, is episkopos in Greek. It means the one who scopes out and tells us the direction we ought to go. You know what that is for me? That's Brett. So I'll literally see a Santa Claus And I'll just quietly say, Lord, bless Brad. Anoint him. Put your spirit on him. Have him call me normal more. (laughs) I'm up for anything. I trust him. I'm with him. I'm walking with him. You follow what I'm saying? I don't want to take anything away from the rest of whatever he might mean to you, Santa Claus might mean to you. Have fun. Have fun. It's Christmas. Be free in Jesus. You don't hear me saying bah humbug. But what I'm going for, I I want, with all the other fun, nobody's going to eat as much as I am this Christmas. Nobody's going to celebrate more. Every time I break into all I want for you, all I want for this Christmas is you. I mean, Bev just says, thank you, honey. Just stop. Just stop. I know you're trying to bless me. But I want the Christian impartation that's meant to come with it. How about the natural fun joy that we have as a culture in addition to the Christian power we're meant to take hold of because we're reminded of these things. That's where I'm going. That's what I want. 
the food on the table, whatever it is, half a hamburger and some fries, symbols of God's grace all through the Bible. Food is a, when God's going to bless somebody, he says, I'm going to give you some awesome food. That's what he says, right? All the time. Going to bless you. Here's more food. Your tables are grown. Psalm 23, he's in the middle of blessing us. What's he going to do? He's going to prepare a table for us in the wilderness and the presence of our enemies. Because he's using food as a symbol. You see what I mean? Everything, in a sense, becomes a reminder of who Jesus is and what he wants to do and the power. So let's this morning dispel the weariness. Let's dispel the gloom. Let's dispel uh, even the bad news of our culture. I don't mean deny it. We're not deniers. We face reality straight in the eye and we, and we defy it and deal with it and love people and make change in Jesus' name. But we're not denying reality. We're living in it. But we understand that Jesus is greater and that he comes to set the captives free. And Christmas is a reminder of that power. And one more thing I want to add. You can't, you can't be as crazy about Christmas as I am and not be thinking about when the angels appeared to the shepherd. I can just see some of you now, oh gosh, he's going to bring up the shepherds. I want, I want you to realize that this idea of remembering, this idea of recalling things that are past that have an impartation now can work negatively too. You see, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, good will toward men. And so Christmas, because of the reminder of these words, is also a good time for us to remember the past negative that we keep letting cycle through us. This week, who do you need to call? Who do you need to get right with? Who do you need to reconcile with? That's part of what Christmas reminds us of too. Because if not that negative recalling, that negative remembering, that letting the negative cycle through our souls can taint us and damage us and grieve the Spirit so that the full power of what Jesus is trying to do in Christmas and in our lives in this generation is somehow squelched. I want you to be free. I want you to walk in true joy. I want you to be Ebenezer Screws after the three spirits have shown up. you follow what I'm saying? Okay, are we there? I want you to be joyous. I, I want you in the midst of, a, of tough times in our world. I want you nevertheless to take hold of what our faith promises, is that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of being in a dark valley, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, nevertheless, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what I want you to walk in. Now bow your head for just a moment. Living God, we come before you now and thank you that you are reminding us in lights, in candles, in trees, in manger scenes, in tables filled with food, in each other's eyes of what you want to do. Give us divine grace to remember the awesome things you have done and to take hold of that power in our day.